You are listening to Absent Minded, brought to you by Habs Eyes on the Prize.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Absent Minded. This time we're sure that Jared Book over in Montreal is recording. That's right, Jared, isn't it? Yeah, hey, hey I, I'm. I, yeah, it's probably my fault. Let's be honest. Um, but, but it's okay. It, it is. It is recording now. So uh, take two. Yeah. So we're. Uh, if you didn't get it, uh, we have to do a re-recording because we lost the sound of the first recording. Um, hopefully, it just makes the conversation better i'm also joined not only by jared book but with uh, anton rosegård who is um, freezing right now in south sweden i am freezing in the south of sweden and i must say it's it's unfortunate that we lost the former podcast because it's probably the most inspired work we've ever done and it it would have been a sensation the world would have talked about it for months to come indeed (laughs) they would have but on the other hand now we can improve on it. True. Let's talk about um, something that has plagued the the Montreal Canadiens fan base for a couple of days and Montreal media, obviously. Uh, Pierre Lacroix, yes or no? I'm going to keep it short this time. <laughs> I, I, I think the main thing for me, and, and I said last time when, when Anton asked me you know, what, what I thought of the trade, I, I'm happy it's not me because it's such a hard decision right now. But if you factor in the fact that when Dubois will have to come to to Montreal, he will have to quarantine for 14 days, the Montreal Canadiens are expecting to make the playoffs. So you're telling me that they're going to lose who they lose in the trade. Plus, they're not even going to get the benefit from the trade for 14 days. I just don't see that as plausible right now. I think that Mark Bergevin talked about this on the, in the during the offseason when when Dubois was a free agent. I think that they're probably going to discuss this uh, later on if Dubois is still a Blue Jacket uh, after the season ends. I guarantee you they'll talk about it then. I just don't see this making sense right now. That doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. It doesn't mean that it won't happen. I just think that there's things in place right now, not even to mention the, the salary cap, that they'll have to come together in, in any sort of trade that that this happens during the season but hey I, I could be wrong but who, I, I just don't see it right now I have nothing against PLD as a player uh, of course it would be it's it, first of all it's lovely to hear someone so adamantly claiming that he wants to be in Montreal if he gets traded anywhere right uh, because we've been uh, we've been misfortuned in the past by everyone saying that well in free agency and everything uh players don't want to come to Montreal because of taxes and also because the fan base is very adamant on that they want, uh, well, I mean, they want cups and they, they, there is a high, um, yeah, there is a demand for, for success in Montreal, obviously. Um, but being a homegrown son and everything, it would be great to have a first line center um, of Dubois potential. He's naturally still only 22 years old, um, who is uh, Quebecois. But at the same time, 
I'm just weighing it, as I said the last time as well, I'm just weighing it at um, what the cost would be and what you would have to give up. And I just feel like at this point, I wouldn't be, I just as a supporter, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable giving up one of these guys that could potentially be as good as Dubois in a few years. And we see with the way Nick Suzuki has started the season that he may already be at Dubois' level this season. And I just feel like at this point, I think the price would be too steep. If Mon Mark Bergevin can work something out during the offseason, that would be fascinating. But at this point, as you've said as well, there are too many question marks and I would rather pass. In one way, you also have to look at it from a team point of view. The team, after two games, what, what we have seen, and we'll come back to that later, is that it really is a team. It's built on the foundation of of rolling four lines. Getting Pierre Lacroix into this team means sacrificing that a little bit, and I'm not sure that would be, be beneficial either. Also, having seen what the rumored package from New York Rangers was last night, I think that, you know, it's not a chance that Montreal will pay that much for Pierre Lacroix, even if he is a very good player, for sure. But also, he's two years older than, than KK, he's one year older than, than Suzuki, and we don't know what they will be in that time and what kind of contract they're on, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I think it's it's much better to wait and see, as, as you say, Anton, uh, I wouldn't be against having him, but not at any price that it is. And rumor has it that uh, Columbus Blue Jackets started by asking about Romanov. And if I was Mark Bergevin, I would probably have hanged up at that point. Yeah, also, you, you mentioned the, the first time we recorded this podcast that the New York Rangers, um, there is a rumor that they would um, offer a huge ransom to get Pierre-Luc Dubois. And in that case, when it, when it becomes a really high price tag, then you become in quite, quite a pickle because, um, as you say, Montreal has built this team as, as a team this year. And if you lose just a couple of, uh, just a couple of, of important pieces here and there, all of a sudden the depth isn't so great. And, is it worth to have a, a first-line center who isn't... I mean, he's, he's not even on that true top uh, top level at this point. It, it's more that you can see that he has all the traits to become really good um, and, and a dominant first-line center in a few years' time. I, I just think that if the Rangers offered Kapokako to Columbus, it would already have happened. So... Uh, you know, same thing with with different rumors and things like that. If if, if the Rangers offered Kako, I, I think he'd already be a, a Blue Jacket, and Dubois would be a Ranger. The 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 problem here, really, and we're not going to dive in too much about it because I said it's a yes or no question. But is that obviously uh, Pierre Lacroix has asked to go to Montreal? It puts pressure on Montreal. It puts pressure on Columbus Blue Jackets, but. In, in the end, it's a business transaction. You cannot forget that. And Columbus Blue Jackets will take the best package offered. Uh, and it might not be for Montreal. And, and to be honest, the way I see the team playing right now, after two games, small sample size, I wouldn't take him anyway. I'll be honest, I am a bit surprised about Romanov playing that all-around game so well, getting the chance on the power play unit, etc., uh, etc., 
but I'm not surprised about surprised about his hockey IQ, his play overall uh, over the ice, and he's. I'm not at all surprised about how he goes about his ways. He's a true professional, and he is hockey royalty, and he wants to be known for being the best defender of his his age group. And I have to say, I'm, I'm because I've caught some flack about this earlier, but um, yeah, when I was in Stockholm in February for, for the international tournament there, quite a few scouts and GMs told me that Romanov would have gone top five in the redraft. Some of obviously also said that it was top three. And I think that more and more people are maybe understanding that way of thinking right now. Yeah, the thing for me, and, and you know, even people who are high on Romanov or high on any prospect going into the NHL is how they're going to start off, right? Where, you know, Alexi Lafreniere has, is probably one of the top prospects we've seen since maybe Connor McDavid. At least he's up there with, with Jack Hughes and, and, that, and that group of players. And he's gone two games without a point. Uh, Romanov, you know, playing over 20 minutes against Toronto is is just I, I don't think without any preseason games I don't think anybody expected this and I, I think a, a big factor in that is just he, he's coming from the KHL and we've seen such a huge variety of of outcomes of players who come from the KHL whether they're veterans who come to the KHL and uh, come from the KHL and struggle uh, you know, uh, Shipachev is, is an example that I think of uh, w- w- when we look at that aspect uh, or, or a young player who comes from the KHL to the NHL and struggles. Yuri Sikach um, is an example of that, uh, of somebody who comes from, you know, a very highly touted and, and comes and, and struggles a bit or has trouble adjusting. And Romanov has been very good and there's going to be ups and downs. Let's, let's be honest here. He, he's still, he's still a rookie when it comes to the NHL. He, he played, you know, fewer minutes against Edmonton because Claude Julien was probably trying to, to avoid him going against McDavid. But at, at the same time, I, I think that, you know, w- what we're seeing is what we saw glimpses of throughout his time in the cage. John Patrick, you you watched him more than, than pretty much anybody uh, in terms of a Montreal perspective at this point. And I, I think that what you're seeing is is what 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 we saw, what you've been telling people about from the beginning it's just that people only saw that at the world juniors and there's this this kind of stigma about prospects coming to the canadians and and how they perform because we're so not used to prospects playing up to their potential yeah and uh i, I you mentioned the old uh, guys coming into the khl and uh, or from the khl uh, but also and and i put money on this not much um as, as mrs seb is listening but um, I put a little bit of money on it, and I think Kirill Kaprizov will be another of those players that we will talk about. He coming from the KHL, young age, very successful, golden goal, uh, gold medal goal scorer for for the Olympics. Uh, he's won the Gagarin Cup. He's uh, been two years extra in the same kind of of environment that that Romano has because he's been with Seska. And you can see that he also comes with a lot of hockey confidence, with a lot of uh, stability and, and, and poise in his game, because it's, it's really the poise in, in the game at this level that has stood out for, for many uh, viewers in regards to Romanov. Don't you agree, Anton? 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think as well that, um, I mean, you've been saying from the start and and also Jillian Kemmerer and others who, who, who know their stuff about Romanov and about Russian hockey that there was this consensus that Alexander Romanov would thrive better in, in a in an NHL role than he would in a KHL role because he just has more North American traits than he does traditional Russian defenseman traits. And and we see it now already. I was I wasn't up last night to watch the Edmonton game because um no, uh, because I, I was um, uh, focusing on the Toronto game this week. And uh, but when I watched like the first game as well, it was just so impressive to watch him just go out and having no fear on the ice in his first NHL game. He's 21 years old. And there was this sequence where he just um, danced around the offensive blue line um, and just danced past uh, like a stick held out from a Toronto um, checker. And he just danced past and kept the puck in the offensive zone and just delivered a a cross-ice pass. And it was just like, who does that in their NHL debut when they're the the back end guy on the ice if the forward would have broken up that um broken off his stick or something they would have had um just carry price and free ice and yeah it really said something about his confidence level and it's impressive that he has been able to work on that so much since he's been in such a limited role in seska and it was really mitch mana that was that uh, attacker as well so yeah. so it was not just any unskilled player it was a very skilled player that he held off uh, speaking about seska they're famous for their off-season practices they start like a month and a half before the the season starts in khl they start with their off-season uh, and and it's rigorous it's like a more of a military camp and, and a boot camp rather than than maybe a a hockey camp but but also this brings into the next question that can we see Montreal uh, keeping him on for for fifty six games? Do you ex- are, are you expecting a decline from from Romanov or or will Julian shelter him in in so many ways that he will play all through the the season? I, I think he's going to play himself into an indispensable role, but. I think to start the year, I think there's going to be days where, you know, maybe he goes to the taxi squad or he uh, he's a healthy scratch and they put Victor Mete in the lineup. And it's nothing to do, nothing against Romanov. It's just, I can see them doing it with Jake Evans as well. I just think that they're going to have to get these guys into games. And until the cap space is, is, is at a point where you can have 22, 23 guys on the roster, uh, that's, that's, what's going to happen. And it's nothing against Romanov. It's, it's not, it's nothing like that. It's just eventually they're going to have to put guys into games. Same thing with Carey Price, right? Carey Price is coming off of a great game. It wouldn't shock me if Jake Allen started on Monday because they, they want to get Allen to a game. Uh, you know, it's, it's almost uh, over a week now since uh, his last, you know, game action in, a, in that scrimmage uh, at, at Complex Bell. So I think that there's going to be some rotation. I, I don't think he's gotten to a point where he's like Nick Suzuki or even Yasperi Kutkaniemi where they're going to be in the lineup. But but I think that, you know, he's going to, I mean, he's on the second power play unit. He's on the penalty kill. It's If, if he does, if he does go out of the lineup or, or they move him out, it's not a punishment or anything. Obviously the coaches trust him. I think it's just a matter of getting everybody into the lineup and that's, what what this team is is going to have to do to you know get guys 
ready to go when when they'll be needed. But yeah, I mean, Romanov is it's it's funny to me how everyone was like, oh, he might be able to lead a second power play unit uh, and, and all these things questioning his his offense. I mean, it, just in two NHL games, he's looked not out of place on the power play. He's made two tremendous passes to the players from his end of the ice. Those are the aspects that you wouldn't necessarily see unless you're watching him often. And, and it, it's one of those things where it's, there's all these aspects to his game that are are developed and it's it's remarkable that he wasn't a first round pick <laughs> and um you know I, we were all surprised when they took him in the second round early in the second round but i i don't think anybody would would say that he's he wouldn't be a, a top 5 top 10 top 3 pick in, in that draft and you have to remember that draft was a pretty good draft uh, you know, it's very cut. Kinyemi, Philip Zadina, Quinn Hughes. Uh, there's a lot of good defenders in, in the top part of that draft. It's very cut. Kinyemi looks like he hasn't put up any points this season, but he looks like a player who's going to, you know, dominate on occasion. And, you know, I'll just, I guess I'll start this off, but this team is so built, is built in a way where one line is going to take over every game, right? The first game against Toronto, was the Suzuki Anderson Duran line that that line was was tremendous. Then the second game, Tatar had two goals. It was the Dano Tatar Gallagher line, and the the, the Foley. So you're saying it's the third line next tomorrow. I, I'm saying it could be. I, I mean, Tyler <laughs> Toffoli had as many scoring chances as anybody else. He just couldn't remember how to shoot the puck properly, and that that's not a knock on Toffoli. I'm, I'm just it's just you know eventually he just had a tough night handling the puck. It happens, right? But the fact that he's in those positions and Kutkaniemi had a couple of chances, Armia had a couple of chances. Eventually, what's going to happen when teams play the Montreal Canadiens is that they're going to like Suzuki has a big game. Oh, we're going to put our our best defense against Suzuki, and then the the no line gets a bunch of chances, and then they're like, oh, we have to stop the no line, and then the Kutkaniemi line is going to have chances, and, and that's just the the great part about this the, the way this team is built is that they they have the opportunities to play. Uh, and adjust and and you know they're they're so deep compared to the rest of the division at least offense uh, offensively it's going to be interesting to see how how teams try to stop them this really is a team that is built much in the front aspect anton where, where you really roll four lines yeah exactly and uh, that is what we've seen that is the canadians perk uh during the early hours of of this season um as I said, I watched the uh, Toronto game closely and, and wrote the recap on that game. And um, what I felt during that game was just that, well, as, as we kind of knew as well, Toronto has gone top heavy with, with four guys and paying them a lot of money. And uh, they've been patch, patching and, and stitching up, uh, especially the bottom two lines, obviously. And, and you can say whatever you want about the sports uh, sportsnets of the world and, and the Toronto media wanting to uh, attribute uh, a great offseason to um, to the Maple Leafs, and I understand that they have got a lot of players who were really talented back in 2011, um, but at the same time they don't provide a lot of offense uh, anymore. So it's really up to the guys, the Marner, uh, Marner, Nylander, uh, Tavares, and and Matthews to provide the scoring, and that is why we saw. Uh, the Maple Leafs 
I mean, they are lethal on the power play, but playing five on five, I just felt that the Canadians were much better suited. It didn't matter what line Toronto sent out because the Canadians were competitive for 60 minutes. And and that is something we're going to see even more because obviously these are the first games of the season. There, there has been no preseason. Um, and as everything gets more glued together in a condensed season, it will be even more interesting to see uh, Claude Julien just roll four lines. And, and as you say, any given night, one of the lines can take over and then you play them a little bit more. And uh, yeah, uh, I'm very excited about what I've seen uh, for just the first two games. And it's going to be fun to see if the Edmonton Oilers have anything up their sleeve to just battle back uh, when when the Monday game comes back on. It also makes the Canadians a very difficult team to play against because you can't really line match since every line is, is, is that deep or that good. Uh, but if we look back on, on the Toronto game, um, first and foremost, uh, Romanov came out of, of, of the blue for, for a lot of fans and a lot of media. But we also have to look at there were some unlucky bounces and and what you have to realize when you play Toronto is that, you know, you need to stay out of the box because a, a line with Tavares, Marner, Matthews and Nylander and whoever plays defense, because it could almost be me, uh, is going to put up a goal more or less. Yeah. I, I think that the major thing uh, for the Canadians was, I mean, you look, I mean, we're, we're jumping back and forth, but I mean, both, both games have happened, but you, you look at the Edmonton game, they were three for three on the, the, the penalty kill against a team that was 30% on the power play a year ago. So it's a lot of that. Yes. is, is carry price. And, and what, what strikes me about these, these teams is that um, the teams that try to. Yeah. And, and um, it just, it just broke, but uh, Romanov <laughs> is obviously lent to the, to the taxi squad. squad. Yeah. Jake Evans enough. treatment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's cap stuff. I mean, he's going to play yeah. on, on Monday. That's, that's nothing. He's going to be back on Monday. Yeah. We yeah. all know. I'm just saying it. So, you know, when yeah. we're recording it. <laughs> no, exactly. That's what distracted me a bit. I had to like, I see, I see a, a pop-up, but yeah, no, it's, mm. you, you look at the way this team is and the Canadians are right now is that they, Claude Julien said it and, and we'll play a clip, um, right you know shortly but what he basically said he was asked you know is it nice to be able to to spread out your lines he's like yeah if you don't have to play your players uh more than you have to that that's going to benefit them and and i think that the benefit will be in the second half of back-to-back game not back-to-back because they're not in two separate days but uh in, in you know two games in, in three nights is going to benefit the canadians in, in that you know you, you look at the the time on ice and the the no line didn't play that much. The Anderson line didn't play that much. They played under fi- about fifteen minutes total. Th- that's what's going to help the Montreal Canadiens uh, against these teams that play. You know, Connor McDavid played you know twenty minutes. Uh, Nugent Hopkins played twenty minutes. Drysaitel played almost uh, twenty and, minutes. And, and and Matthews was like twenty two in the first yeah, game, right? Yeah, exactly. Toronto does that a lot too, where Marner and Matthews play uh, a lot of time. Uh, with, with Thornton and you know Tavares line plays a little bit less, but it, it, that that's what's going to be the the blueprint for this Montreal Canadiens team. And, and look, this is what we were saying before the season started, right? This is the strength of this Montreal team. We saw it on paper. We saw how it was developing, and through two games. And yes, it's only two games. One of them they lost in overtime, but through two games, you can see the blueprint for their winning. It, it, it's working. What what we see on paper is what we're going to see on the ice. 
Here's Claude Julien. You know, we talked about that beginning of the year. And, uh, you know, I think part of that is part of our plan as well, because, you know, what you don't want to do with the number of games and then almost like, you know, when you look at the whole season, it's almost a game every second night. It may look like not much right now, but as the season goes on, uh, it'll make a big difference. You don't want to wear your players down when you don't have to, when you've got good, uh, you know, uh, good depth and uh, uh, the, the, uh, I guess the balance of your group is is pretty good. So I think everybody's kind of accepted it. And uh, there might be games where you have to lean on others m- more than normal. But uh, uh, at least when you're ready to do that, the guys will be fresh enough to be able to, to, to do that kind of a move. So we're just, uh, you know, trying to be smart here from uh, from start to finish. Not many teams will do what Claude Julien did on, on Saturday. And that is just roll your four lines against the Oilers. Because teams can't afford to do that usually, and, and Montreal can. And yes, you might not want Romanov and Kulak to play against McDavid. You might not want Jake Evans to play against against uh, McDavid. But at the same time, who are Evans' line mates? Lekkinen and Byron. Those were top six players from Montreal in previous years. You know, those are the players you would have wanted to have against McDavid in previous years. You know, Kulak played against the top lines in the playoffs last year. So. It's it's one of those things where it's there. It's he can just play who he wants, and it's very like you said. It's very hard for the other teams to adjust because there's no weakness. There's and that that it's it's playing itself out on paper. And like Anton said, it's encouraging. It is encouraging because this is exactly how we saw the people who thought the Montreal Canadiens would be a good team were looking at exactly this. The fact that Carey Price is playing out of this world is just a bonus. Yeah, and we have to realize as well that. Uh, it will probably help the second half of the season and in the playoffs. You can rest players when they're needed to be rested. You can rest them when they start to get an itch, not when they break a leg. Uh, all these things. And I hope really that Julian and, and, and Bergevin are looking into to the uh, uh, medical staff and tell, ask them to say, a, a little bit like Milan did when Shevchenko was still there, uh, but but they, they asked them like, who can I play today rather than can you get this guy so I can play him today? Uh, so, so I think that is, is, is a big thing and it will help really down the stretch and when, when games really, really matters. And, and I've, I've just come off the uh, a conversation with Jillian Kemmerer and, and I have to say like uh, she, she points out to the, the fact that when Romana won, won the Gagarin Cup with Seska, uh, the top of the game was in the quarter in the semifinal against Ska for obvious reason, but because they were so well-trained, because they were so well taken care of, because they were so well coached in regards to time on ice, et cetera, et cetera, they swept the final. They went 4-0 in the final. Okay, they won the last game in overtime, but still, this is what you're aiming for. You need to be at your best come, come, come post-season, not the first two games. So hopefully we're not going to sit here in a couple of weeks and say, oh, it went it went uh, the other way. But we, we can see this going forward and we can see this, that you're leaning on against medical expertise. You, you, you're leaning on and you're telling. And I think this is very, very telling. It seems like the players are accepting it. You, you heard Brennan Gallagher and you heard um, Claude Julian last night, like they were saying like, you know, I don't have to play this much or why do I need to play them that much? Because it's a team. The team is building, that they're gelling. And 
they're going forward in a way that, you know, the, the regular season isn't a thing for them. No one is looking at the regular season except for making the playoffs. What's important as well is that the fans seem to have chimed in on this as well. Like everyone knows, after the Toronto game, I was, I was expecting kind of a heavy, like some kind of debate in the comment section where where some people would be pissed off because Montreal had lost a game that they should have won really uh, against the Maple Leafs. But but it was just like it seemed like everyone was kind of agreeing on this was a good start i mean they looked good and it will just it's something to build on and as we know from canadians as an organization and and going from the players and up to management and us fans there rarely is that kind of collective mentality where everyone seems to chime in on the same uh, and be on the same page and that's just that's just wonderful. Let's hope that that continues as well. That everyone just thinks that the Canadians can be really good this season, and and we've seen a, an encouraging start. Everyone has been speaking about a one A one B sort of goalkeeper situation, but what we're really almost is seeing in 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 the Montreal lineup is like a one A B C and D. Uh, yeah. line or a, a second line rather than a first yeah. line maybe but but you see this where the depth is so strong and then you add players that are on the taxi squad that are not complaining or at least not publicly uh, yeah. like Pierre Lacroix uh, saying thir- certain things in the media but but they are really like they're bought into this program we, we spoke about it on different pods and in different articles that right now because of the playoffs that happened this this fall, um, seems really wrong to say that, but <laughs> but, <laughs> but players are looking to join Montreal because something is going on here. You want to be part of that. You want to go as as uh, Kerry Price's daughter said last night. Daddy needs that big kind of cup that is at the end of the season, and and uh, we all want him to get that. And and in in a, in a way. It seems like the team has really brought into okay. We don't have any superstars like Toronto or, or Edmonton or or what's coming up next week with Elias Pettersson and Brock Brosher, but but we are a team and and the team is going to get this done. Yeah, it's you know it, it's it's funny because you know Corey Perry wouldn't have signed in Montreal if they needed him to play in like the the middle six, right? He, he wants to win. And that's and that's exactly why he he came to Montreal. Same thing with Michael Froelich. Like, it's they know what their role is. Like Corey Perry, if he plays twenty five regular season games, and then is fresh for the playoffs, that's the best case scenario for everybody, right? Like that's that that's that's what everybody would want, right? You, you don't get Corey Perry for a, a Tuesday game in in Edmonton. You get him for you know the playoffs and 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 what you need to do and. You know, I, I was, or maybe I should say Tuesday game against the Ottawa, or <laughs> better than Tuesday game because Edmonton might be a playoff team and a team that Montreal plays in the playoffs. So on a Tuesday night, but you, you know what I mean. It, it's just you don't get them for those those games, and and, and it's going to be interesting to see. I, I guarantee you that they're going to rotate guys, like we're seeing with Romanov and the taxi squad. They're going to do that with the lineup as well, and it's not a punishment. It, it, it's just the reality of the situation. You know, if you're going with your best lineup every game. 
Carey Price would start every game, but that's not the goal. The goal is to keep everybody fresh for the playoffs. And, you know, luckily there have been no injuries from Montreal so far this year. Hopefully that continues. Obviously there's the virus as well that can, can shut down entire positions at, at times. It's, it's not, it's, you know, we see what happens in other sports and, and what's been happening. So that's always a possibility as well. And the, the key with this Montreal team is that there's, there's redundancy in place, right? It, it's, it's built for the long haul. And, you know, the fact that we're seeing advantages in the second game of the season, because they're playing an opponent who played three games in four nights is just, you know, showing us what, what, what's going to happen going forward. And, you know, there's going to be downturns. There's going to be, you know, Carey Price is not going to play like he did uh, every, every night. I mean, he was remarkable on Saturday, you know, there's going to be games like he played against strong, but it's still early for everybody. There's going to be ups and downs. Look, Joel Edmondson, he had, uh, you know, everyone was screaming after the Toronto game and, you know, he, he made a, a huge play, a couple of huge plays in, in the Edmonton game. So it, it's, it's going to take some time. This team is still learning how to play, but the fact that they're so cohesive already is, is a very, very positive sign for, for the Canadians. And, you know, the fact that they can make those little adjustments as well, it's, it's, fu- it's fun to see a great coach in Claude Julien and a great group of, of depth, depth that he has in Montreal come together because it's it's really fascinating to, to see how, how this team looks through two games. It's early, but at the same time as saying it's early, this is what we saw in the offseason. This is what we've been saying since since October uh, when we were looking at this team. It's it's playing itself out on paper. Yeah, and and what we do have here is also the 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 fact that you mentioned Joel Edmondson and the first uh, what should I say like the first game we were a little bit um, worried about it, but but he seemed to have come in a little bit better in the second game, but also you have to remember that he's played with with Josh Allen before. And having that relationship with a uh, with a goalkeeper as a defender with a goalkeeper is going to make you more secure, and and I think he will only go forward. I think uh, someone I, I forgot whom of you that mentioned this in the previous recording of this pod that wasn't a recording uh, that um, it took Kulak ten games or, or Sharot ten games to to get into the system. Yeah, obviously it did, uh, and and you always have to uh, just. Um, it's not just guys like Romanov who are rookies who need some time to adapt to, especially this kind of season without uh, without any kind of preseason. And and a guy like Edmondson, he's brought in in large as well to to keep the crease in front of Carey Price free. And that is something that we we've seen in this first few games because I remember thinking of that a lot during like we talked about that a lot during um, the previous season that. The problem wasn't that Carey Price was playing bad. The problem was that you know he was leaving rebounds, which just because there there were quality scoring chances in front of him, and and the opponents were reeking up the rebounds and and scoring with them. And now that the Montreal has a more physical, physically imposing blue line, they can just keep the crease more free in front of Carey Price, so he can focus on just making one great save per attack instead of having to make three. Um, and it just it just Already throughout two games, it feels a little bit more secure on defense than it did 
a year ago when it felt very fragile. Honestly, I'm thinking back as you're as you're talking about that, Anton. I'm trying to think of a rebound save that Carey Price made on Saturday, and and I yeah. can't think of one. <laughs> you no. know, all of his big saves were you know that they had chances, but I can't remember many many rebounds. And yeah, it's it, you can see when when Carey Price was struggling last year. Or and, and in previous years, you can see he was trying to do too much. He on two on ones, he was trying to cover the pass and the shot. You can't do that as a goalie. You, you know, he was trying to he was trying to make three saves at once. He was trying to like, okay, there's a guy open there, a guy open there. I need to put my rebound exactly here. And, and you can see he's not doing that this season. He's just trying to stop the puck. Yeah, and and looking forward, uh, we we got a game. Or, uh, I'm not part of it, but but I'm saying we as a fan base. Uh, but Montreal has a game against uh, Edmonton on Monday night, and then they have a three-game stand away to Vancouver. All of these three teams um, that we start about uh, start against uh, this season are built a little bit the same way. Two very top-heavy uh, first lines, but the tail of the of, of the team is not that strong. The tail of the team is a, is a cricket. Uh, um, usage or, or, or uh, thing so so uh, but but the bottom really isn't the same kind of, of, of depth that Montreal has will they be able to to use that to their advantage much in the same way as, as Anton mentioned we should have won the game against Toronto uh, and there was a few lucky bounces and and obviously going into to the penalty box a few two time a few too many times but also looking towards the the, the Vancouver Canucks that is built with the Elias Pedersen line and and a, a, a brochure line with that has been added with uh, with some Swedish spice in in the form of Nils Wagner. Yeah, uh, I think that all of these three three teams are kind of built up the same way, and it just feels that, um, like Montreal has one true star who gets paid a lot of money, and that is Carey Price, and. I remember you, Jared, mentioning something about like, yeah, uh, uh, no matter how much you like, how, no matter how great uh, someone like Connor McDavid or Leon Dreisaitl is, or Elias Pettersson or Brock Besser, you can only play them for a maximum of 25 minutes a night. But Montreal gets Carey Price for 60 minutes. And you can see the difference in just what a quality goalie can can do for you because he's there all the time. If you compare it to Miko Koskinen, for example, and uh, yeah, Edmonton has uh, Mike Smith behind, and and just it just feels very, it feels very uh, very safe and stable both on defense, offense, on goal t- and goaltending right now. So if a team wants to break down Montreal, especially if we come if we come to playoff time, if a team wants to break down the Montreal Canadiens uh, during a seven game uh, series. They will have to go through a lot because they can't just rely on a few guys and and great power play. Uh, you will really have to up your game for sixty minutes per night. And and that's that's the that's the that's the pattern that Philadelphia used against Montreal last year, right? You know, Giroud didn't have a great series, Voracek didn't have a great series, and they still won the series, right? So that's kind of the pattern that Montreal has this year is that they 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 built up their their depth. It's not just guys like Josh Anderson and Tyler Toffoli. It's guys like Corey Perry. Because last year, you know, Xavier Willette played a playoff, played play in the playoffs. Charles O'Donnell, Dale Weiss, Alex Belzil. Like these are guys, they're, they're great guys. They're great players. 
you don't want to have to rely on them as your depth. And that's the biggest difference this year. Indeed. And looking forward, uh, we got a game against uh, Edmonton coming up Monday night, uh, a revenge game. It will be different. Uh, obviously, uh, the coaches will make adjustments because they've seen what has worked and what hasn't worked. And Claude Julien will have to second guess the coaches' changes. It will be interesting to see. Uh, then obviously a three-game stand uh, away to to Vancouver Canucks. In order for you to get the best possible preview of these games, you really should look into previous podcasts that we've had. Uh, we were joined by uh, press from from Copper and Blue in in the preview of Edmonton Oilers. Obviously for Vancouver Canucks, we were joined by Harman Dial of the uh, uh, Athletic for for Vancouver. It is a really interesting season that we have had uh, to start with. And, and to be honest, uh, looking at the, the, the Toronto game, it, it doesn't really feel like a loss, does it? There's going to be losses in this season. It, it all comes down to what it feels like and, and how, you know, there's good losses and, and games where you, you were just outplayed. There's probably going to be games where the Canadians are just going to be outplayed. It's going to happen. In a 56-game season, there's there's some good teams here. We talk about, you know, the the depth of the other teams not being as good, but their their top is very good, right? So, you know, it, we saw we saw it with McDavid in, in the two games that he the Edmonton Oilers played against Vancouver, right? He he gets nothing in in the first game. Next game, he gets three goals and, and really takes over the game. In, in the game against Montreal, he only had one assist. Leon Draisaitl had nothing. I I guarantee you that Montreal would love for that to happen in the second game. I don't know if you can count on that. And and the Oilers seem to have a team where they they try to outscore you. And obviously that's the key to every win, but you know, teams do it in different ways. Edmonton is is perfectly fine winning 6-5, 5-4. That that's that's their style. They just want to score goals. And the problem with that style is that sometimes you run into carry price. And and then, and that's exactly what happened on on Saturday. I don't know if the Oilers can necessarily change their their style in, in two days, but you know the, it's a very good chance that they'll score more than one goal, and that's what Montreal will have to combat in in the second game. There there will be uh, points where where the Canadians won't look as good this season, but it's just in general it's a very encouraging feeling going forward, and and I think that. As we've uh, talked about multiple times during the offseason, I think this is a good way to build a team if you don't, especially if you don't have that Connor McDavid type of uh, star on your on your team. And, and we saw it last night, um, just that any given night, one of the lines can take over. And yesterday it was the uh, presumptive first line with uh, Dano Gallagher and, and Tuna Tatar. And um, the way that... Just Tuna Tatar has, um, we were thinking last year maybe that he had a career year. He doesn't seem to have lost a step. And going into a, I mean, it's a, it's a contract year for him. So having three goals in two games, it tells you something about uh, that he hasn't been slacking during the offseason either. It's really interesting. We've been mentioning this. Uh, it's it's winning by community. I think we had that as a headline for, for one of the uh, podcasts earlier, but also going on a road trip for almost two weeks starting on the season a season where it's dependent on on a team that is built around leaders that is built around um character 
uh, it makes for a really interesting dynamic. Let us know if there's any guests that you want to have back. If you if there's any guests that you think we should reach out to to bring onto the pod, we read all the comments. We read everything on Twitter. We are happy to to bring this to you. We want to improve, so please let us know how to do that. I would like to thank uh, Jared for for being here today, and I would like to thank uh, Anton as well to to be here. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, enjoy the game against Edmonton, and we'll be back next week. Take care, stay safe, wear a mask.